Hi, and welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Alejandro Osses. He is the CEO of Rootstack, and as the name might imply, they are an IT engineering outsourcing firm. They are based in Panama, where they originated. Uh, they also have offices in Colombia and Austin, Texas, and soon Mexico. So they're very much a nearshoring entity. I really deep dive with Alejandro into IT outsourcing. I focus at the start on projects and how to get projects to work and how to get them to be delivered on time and what are his ideal projects, things like that. Then of course we go into staff augmentation because um, they do both. And it's always interesting to compare and contrast project type work which is more common in the IT dev sector versus staff augmentation. So it was a good conversation with Alejandro. As always, if you're on any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. Enjoy. This podcast is brought to you by Outsource Accelerator. We are the world's leading outsourcing marketplace and advisory. We help big and small businesses with their outsourcing needs and we can help you too. We cover everything from offshore business and staffing strategy, optimal outsourcing structures, implementations, and fully managed services. If you are already outsourcing, about to start, or are somewhere in between, then we can ensure that you get the best from outsourcing. That's the best prices, best terms, and of course, the best results from your offshore operations. The Outsource Accelerator Marketplace now covers over 3,000 outsourcing firms, representing a global workforce of over 5 million people. We also host this leading outsourcing podcast, publish inside outsourcing, and have over 15,000 pages of content on the site. Because we span the entire market, we can ensure that you get the best deal possible. Get in touch today. Visit us at outsourceaccelerator.com slash quote. Also, if you find this podcast interesting or valuable, please share it. We have now produced hundreds of episodes featuring the outsourcing world's most prominent luminaries. Please show your support by sharing this podcast today. Alejandro, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, for, for inviting me to the show. No worries. So, Alejandro, I suppose we can start with, um, tell us about Rootstack. Where, in particular, did you get the name from? <laughs> well, uh, we are three founders. Uh, three of us are engineers. So, we basically graduated from school, and after that, we were, like, thinking of, of a name. Um, we basically started with Root, Stack, different uh, phrases that you use on software engineering, and uh, basically we it on um, it came with Russo. it sounded cool <laughs> yeah nice nice i assumed it had something to do with uh, engineering uh it's a little bit esoteric to me but fantastic so and what is it then how long have you been building it you started it from graduating is that right 
yeah yeah we was like 12 years ago so <clears throat> really the outsourcing world was was like in the, in the middle yeah uh a generation no but yeah 12 years ago uh, the company started in panama uh and after that we put offices in colombia on us in texas and uh, we are uh, thinking to also open in mexico Right. Wow. And what's a snapshot of the company now? Are you happy to talk about how many staff you have or how's it, how's it structured? Yeah, we have 130 people right now. Uh, most of our team are engineers, 100 engineers. Uh, we have different executive team, uh, departments, HR, sales, marketing, uh, a delivery, a delivery team. Uh, yeah. So normally we work uh, on different types of projects that go from web, mobile, uh, IoT, AI, data analytics, uh, any, any project that basically it's fun that we can learn from it and also delivery quality project. Uh, we have been on that sourcing work for like, the co- we, we, we work with different type of clients like uh, uh, big companies. Also, we work with uh, software agencies. We work with marketing agencies. Uh, we work with a couple of startups, basically that have uh, in investment. Uh, yeah, basically that. Got it. And with outsourcing, typically it's a staff augmentation model where you know the staff are pretty much fully dedicated, working on behalf of the client, of course. With IT, it can be, it can typically lean more towards the agency uh, side. Is that right? Where you're taking on more projects and you're project managing things, you deliver things, and then the staff aren't necessarily fully dedicated. They could be working on multiple projects. How, how um, is that root stack or does it lean more towards the staff augmentation of IT staff? How, how do you navigate that? Well, we, we are a fully agency really that we do. Like we have a couple of clients that we will only do like consultants, consultancy, and we define projects. Okay. We have a lot of clients that we do only provide self augmentation. We have a other service that is called Manager Teams, where we provided a complete team. And we also have um, Manager Services that basically we just provide a pool of hours for support, maintenance, and that type of stuff. So basically, we are full agency. We not only just do uh, staff augmentation. Yeah. Got it. And project management is really, really difficult, isn't it? You know, um, first, I suppose it's identifying the architecture of the project and really getting a full scope on the project, and so that you don't have a lot of scope creep halfway through the project. Um, I find the whole thing infuriating, and even. You know, big projects like building Olympic stadiums and things, when you would assume that all of the experts are in the room and you're probably getting the pinnacle of project management capabilities, these things still go way over budget, way over time, um, and things change along the way. Um, Do you have any insights into successful project management, uh, especially in the in the you know dev and IT realm? The first thing is that. Uh, a lot of companies, like when, when, when you work with clients, 
these clients normally tend to look for companies that have expertise on a specific industry or a type of solution. Okay. And why is that? Because they want to lower the risk exactly as what you are telling me about having a successful project and success basically means uh, time costs and having quality delivered. No. So, uh, based on that, having a good project management is, is very experience having a correct team and a lot of quantification. So we see a lot of projects that on, on this industry industry that, uh, they don't pass on a very good discovery. So our model really is any project that we do have needs to have a, a very good checklist architects that have a discovery phase to get all uh, defined. Basically it's that like, uh, how do you plan a, a building? As you just say, after that, you have different ways of working. You have budgeting, you have time estimations, and normally you can project how much time you will be delayed if something happens. Okay. Uh, if you don't have that, what will tend to happen is that you have a lot of, uh, higher costs, uh, a lot of delays and a lot of misconception on when I think it's going to be delivered. No. So, uh, we have been working, uh, again, 12 years, uh, there are a lot of companies in the industries that does, uh, uh, the same thing, but I think that over the years, uh, you came to perfect how to, uh, bring a new client, uh, scope a project, manage the risks, uh, how to uh, work alongside, uh, putting more people on the team, lowering the team, defining the risks, making correct decisions in a technical way, because if you get a bad decision done on the architecture, it can cost you a lot of hours just putting the trash can, uh, because that code or that uh, piece of code didn't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And are they mostly, um, do you deal mostly with technical uh, people on the other side? Uh, so I assume you, you know, in order to really have the right kind of dialogue with the right kind of people, you, it's very difficult unless you're dealing with sort of a, a CTO on the other side of the table. Um, you know, is, does it get hard to really implement these things if you are dealing with non-technical people on the other side? That's a very, very, very good question. Like, uh, uh, it's very, it's much more easier to have a CTO or a technical people with a very good background. Uh, so we can have like talk on the same language and when things come, uh, come not too, too, too pretty on some occasions or previous of the project, the other side can understand things and come along now. But, um, so we have worked with large corporations that you have a big team and it's like, it's very normal to them. And we have worked with other companies that a final client or a final consumer or a startup that there are only like 10 or 20 people and this is like their third project that they have been working on. So I think that uh, a key of success to that is one, to bring out your experience and the expertise that you have 
I can't explain them on detail um, before uh, starting to work how this can can uh, come along uh, on the prey. No? So in that way, they can know the different scenarios. So we in the company, we have like 10 or 15 scenarios uh, documented with different diagrams and very easy to understand what, the, what, what may happen for each service. So in that way, we have our clients can know more about that. And when it comes along, it's more easier to tackle that that thing, no? because again, as you as you know, if it's a CTO, he can know and he can internally can tra transfer that or uh, translate that to their executive team. Or if not, maybe their executive don't, they won't understand. And what about project creep? Uh, you know, and this happens with the lean method as well, doesn't it? And the agile and, you know, as you sort of evolve the project itself, then it becomes apparent that the project might need to change or you might need to uh, add functionality. So is project, should project creep be avoided completely or should it be worked into the project in that projects should evolve a little bit as they develop? When you, when you mean with project creep, basically you're meaning that a project that it's not coming to to good is that is that correct um meaning you know they say they want one type of app and then halfway through they say i want this extra functionality now i want it to do this or i want to change this a little bit you know and just so so that um basically as you're building it, it it's evolving into something different yeah yeah so uh well we as a company, we, we have, when we do a complete project or on our side, and, it, and it's not staff augmentation. So when we work agile, uh, basically, we again, we do a very good discovery because we can build a project completely wrong, uh, uh, not doing a, a very good discovery, but that type of service can uh, let you let our client do that type of things. They can be creative, they can have things, they can evolve, they can transform. And uh, basically we, we, we charge the hours. No? Uh, the correct thing of, of doing that is yeah, you have you need to have a very good project manager, a very good checklist that can explain the, how a project evolves, okay? And the decisions that they are making from start to middle to end, and how the curve of the project on the technical side and also on the budgeting side, how it's evolving. Okay, it's because they, they don't want a surprise, no? They, and they want to feel comfortable about the decisions that are being taken uh, on one way. The other, the other way of working that on this industry has been more tenant not to do is to in a, a fixed price project. And on that way, normally when it comes that, uh, that changes uh, after, uh, over the project normally are different other quotes or changes that basically are extras. Uh, it's sort of part of the scope because all has changed. But in, 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 in this industry, that type of model is beginning not to be used uh, too much. Right, right. And how would you suggest people go through the process of 
evaluating different IT outsourcing providers. Uh, obviously, you know, there are quite a lot. There's onshore versus offshore, of course. But how do people really get a sense of the capability and quality and outputs of uh, providers? Yeah, so there are very, very good companies right now. And there are very ch different type of people that you can hire, like you can hire a agency like us and you can hire your own team and you can work with freelancers. Um, I think that, that, that just for, started for a first point and the, the best mix for a project is having one person or more person on your side, on the side of the client and having an, an agency uh, to work on. Uh, having a middle or large size project and working with, uh, not with a salish company that basically people can, it's like you're building things and things can, uh, you need to have a, a, a security that a company is going to deliver. Like even though that maybe one engineer is going to be changed with by another one, but that, that company is going to deliver and that they have a good, good structure. Okay. So what's the, that's the main point about that type of, of IT provider. The, the other main thing, and it probably is the, the, the purpose of the question, is like, uh, one, uh, uh, and I'm, I'm going to talk more about the, the, the misconceptions, also about selecting providers. Uh, normally, when we do our first calls with different leads that we have on, on the company, uh, it all comes to rates also, uh, obviously, because different clients are uh, going to be prepared to pay one tier of rate or other tier of rate, okay, based on what's the money that they have on their side. But the second thing uh, besides that, it's the experience, okay? And there are a couple of, of clients that we have that um, experience is not just a portfolio or like what you have done to our client or what you have done to our industry really is to be part of one, two, three sessions with their main or VIP team of engineers with a specific stack of solutions. So you can test them how they think, how they structure things and how they can build Legos over a proof of concept of what you gonna of what you want to do. If you can manage that, like uh, with a, like the main functionalities of a project, to just talk on two or three sessions, three hours, and you can pass that and you can uh, qualify that. Uh, basically, that's the main thing about being a good provider and having check. So hey, these guys are very good, and after that, basically it's. The second thing, so basically experience and expertise. The second thing is rates. And the third thing is the structure of the companies because companies have different ways of managing their process. So basically they will have an HR team that basically can be a, a account managers. They have like on, on Rusa, we have practitioners, we have coaches. If someone doesn't know something, they were going to ask to a team that have all the knowledge. We have boilerplates, we have CI. So like the companies 
the clients need to ask, what do you have under your, your hood? Like, uh, tell me all the, the different things that I will have besides just hiring two or three guys from your team that will deliver code. Uh, code. Let me know, like, what's your, your, your typical stuff that you do internally, how you train your team, your, your, your people, how you test your people. So, like, we have clients that they, they, they ask us, like, okay, uh, let me check your re recruitment process, how you re recruit your people. And there, that, 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 that are very good uh, questions because in that way they can know that type of people that we hire. So when you know all that information, that's a client that basically will say, so, okay, so hey, these guys are, are very, very large, a company of uh, 5,000 people, or there's a company of 100, 130 people that even though that they are not too large, they know what they are doing and they are basically structured to deliver a project. Yeah. Right. So you actually prefer when clients really go deep into the structure and ask the right questions and expect a lot in terms of the get to know you process. Yeah, yeah. We prefer that. And normally we, 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 we tell them all on that first call, like all the process and they can select. Again, we, we have clients that they don't have time. We have clients that they leads that they only like uh, want to know more about the rates and what we have done. But again, we, we, we prefer clients that they go th through all the process. Yeah. Right. And how much, you don't have to tell me like, you know, how big your projects are, but how big are projects typically? Are they tens of thousands of dollars or, you know, hundreds or millions? Because if something is sort of $10,000, you obviously want to limit the, you know, the time it takes to select and sort vendors yeah. and then the onboarding process and the planning and the architecture and things like that. So is there a certain project size where it hits a sweet spot where you can sort of justify all of this kind of upfront um, overhead? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> so normally our project go to on an average like 100K went up uh, like minimum, but we also have projects like 550K uh but yeah if you have a project like 20k probably you want to overlap that in for that so basically just you you have a client just asking like what you have done a prayer like the same that i did um that client normally will just be strictly based on on the price no on the rates mm. uh but again i think that you can go to a middle term and just like all that thing, all the information I just told you, like, like one, two, or three key points, maybe like having uh, architecture defined, a diagrams and a breakdown of all the tasks, and uh, maybe that's just sufficient to have a project of twenty k validated from one vendor to other vendor, so you can compare who is uh, the one that is uh, making the, the good decisions now. Yeah. And what, you know, that's interesting. Thank you for the, for the sort of price range. Where do you see the ideal project length? Because I assume, you know, like a month is, is a sprint, but also you probably don't want projects going on for three years because they probably 
they're no longer a project then, yeah? So is there kind of an ideal length to a project, regardless of size? So even if you're going to spend $20 million on a project, is it kind of ideally still about nine months? But of course, then that's taken more staff. Do you, do you, is there sort of an ideal project length? Uh, so I, I don't think that there's like, okay, uh, normally projects come to a year. I think that like, again, there are different tiers of companies. Like we are, we have, we are still working as a company, uh, projects of three months, but normally, uh, I see in the industry that, that project goes from six months to a year. Okay. Uh, normally that type of projects are from three people going to 15 or 20 or 25 engineers working on a project. After that, you can say that uh, it can be a, a product that is going to have different faces. and It can lower the team or, 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 or put the, the team bigger based on demands. Okay. So yeah, no, normally what clients do is that they have a project and they also evolve to other projects that talk with this main project and you have that team working on an architecture of different solutions to provide to a, a final client. No? Yeah. yeah. Right. And so we've spoken a lot about projects and the reason why I've really sort of dug in here is because I typically deal with <laughs> outsourcing and staff augmentation and the whole project thing and certainly kind of IT and dev work is, is really quite alien to me. So it's, it's really valuable. But you also then do staff augmentation and um, permanent placements and things like that. How do you do you have a preference for the model? Do you, you know, how do you see the different models within your own organization? Do you really prefer projects because, I don't know, higher margin or do you prefer uh, um, long-term staffing because it's more stable? How do you see it work internally? So on this industry, I see that mostly companies do staff augmentation because it's easier to them at the, uh, for all, like, Basically, that uh, to, to us, we, we like to have a complete team, and also staff augmentation is okay. But a, a complete team is basically you have you will be like again. It, it depends what's your definition as a company. We like the three founders. We are engineers. We like technology. We we like to build things. We we, we like to. Uh, think on a project and define things. So uh, our main, like, uh, what, what we would like more is to have a complete team to build a product that basically will be long lasting and you will have that uh, product for one, two, three, four, five years. And you can basically add more people to that project. No? And we have, and we have clients that Basically, they have all the services at the same time. It's not strictly like only staff augmentation and only manage teams. So basically, we can they we have a client that they can have a complete team, but at the same time, they need one or two three engineers for other projects that they are using their guys. Yeah. Right, and with staff augmentation, then I suppose um, coming back to one of the earlier points. If you place really good staff within an organization, uh, you know, a smaller organization, and there's not the technical 
environment to receive them. Um, do those end up being nightmares? Like, do you see a lot of those failing because the the, tent, the the staff that you place are working in an environment not ready to receive them? Yeah, so that's a very, very, very good question. Like, we have had uh, a lot of success working with clients that they they have done staff orientation and they know how to uh, receive people, contractors, and work for a couple of period of times, and they have a very good culture, and they treat and they treat that contractor the same way that they treat an employee of them. And also, we have seen like we have clients that they treat a contractor like they think that that doing staff augmentation that they are working on their culture with their processes and their ways of working that basically uh, they think that we, we, we know all their their ways of working immediately, just like out of the box on the first day. So we have seen both uh, things uh, going. So the key of success of that is to have a very good structure and processes to not have a failure on the first month. So basically all is based on the first month. Um, you need to have uh, experience on that. And that experience is having an HR team doing a lot of things, uh, monitoring the client, monitoring your team, having quick calls to define what is going on. So basically the client feels that uh, they just don't, ha- don't hire one person. They hire a company that they are trying to fill the gap of, or, or of that a month or two or three months. Uh, so we can like say, so, hey, well, it's going well. And after that, you can pull out all that structure and just be more comfortable work, working with with the engineers now. Yeah. Mm. And so then, you know, would you suggest that people hire staff in ones and twos, do you think that, you know, that is possible or do you think that it's better than to hire complete teams? Uh, it, it depends on the need, really. Normally when we have uh, clients, we, we explain it like this. If, if, if they have a checklist and they have a PM and they have uh, their systems and their culture, it just, uh, it, 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 it just can be staff augmentation, okay? It, it doesn't make sense that we put a uh, our complete team because even though that will do, we put three or four or five engineers, they they, they will still be working with their culture and their direction, etc. Um, on the other side, if they're they're gonna have one product owner or one PM or other technical guys, but they are more on the business side and they don't want to be on a daily basis and they just want things to be delivered and they just want to be reported and see and see information about how that project is gone and they want to be on the demos but they don't want to be managing a team basically you can think about having that the complete team that is based on pm checklists couple of engineers and aqa yeah Got it. And what can you say about the, you know, you're based in Panama, you say you've got an office in Austin, I think you're going to Mexico. What can you say about then the nearshoring opportunity? Um, what is it, you know, um, 
are there a lot of developers down there? What's the quality like? What's the typical cost <coughs> like um, as a sort of market analysis? Yeah, so normally Panama, I say very good place to live. Uh, like uh, I have lived only here in uh, my, my life. Uh, yeah, there are good, very good developers in Panama. Uh, we also have offices in Colombia. It's, it's like uh, an hour from Panama. So was uh, based on that decision. Also, there are very good engineers and on Colombia, and also the culture is basically some some about, uh, with Panama and uh, also Mexico. They have very good engineers. So basically, it's more the decision that we made is more strategically based on culture and being very near. Okay. Uh, yeah, basically that. Uh, but yeah, we, we, there, there, there's talent. Uh, the cost of living it's okay. So uh, Colombia and Mexico is more cheaper, cheaper than Panama, really. But yeah, yeah. Right. And you know, obviously, you're comparing this to the US. The US, it seems like there's staff shortages everywhere, and certainly, kind of a year ago, you just couldn't get developers, no matter what you paid. Um, what is the supply side like in Panama and Colombia? Are there a lot more developers bumping around? Is it easier, or has that whole issue sort of um, gone over to uh, those countries as well? Is there generally a shortage? Well, right now, uh, based on this year, as you know, things have been very different on the IT side. It has the it, it has been more more normalized. So yeah, there, there's talent that you can hire. It's, it's still difficult. It's not the same thing before the pandemics, really. But uh, uh, it's more manageable. There, there are talent to hire. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the same thing as, as last year, as you say, that, that it was very, very difficult. Yeah. Got it. And do your developers, do you work remotely or do you have offices? And what are your thoughts in terms of that? Yeah, we have offices on, on, on Austin, Panama, um, Colombia. If you work uh, on some of that, uh, if you live on some, on, on some of that uh, countries, you can go to the office and you can work on your site. Uh, on your on your house, but it, we also hire people from other countries and they work remotely. Really, yeah. Got it, Alejandro. Thank you so much. Interesting insights. If anyone wants to reach out and learn more about Rootstack, how can they do that? Yeah, they can go to rootstack.com to our website. They can also reach out on LinkedIn to us. That was Alejandro Osses. He is the CEO of Rootstack. As always, if you want any of the show notes, go to outsourceaccelerator.com slash podcast. And if you want to drop us an email, just email us at ask at outsourceaccelerator.com. See you next time.